Well, how we doing, family? It is so great to be with you this weekend, and whether you are joining us online at our Rock Island campus, uh, the men in Kiwani, or you part of the rowdy crowd here in Bettendorf, listen, I am so glad uh, that you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin, and I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor here at the Bettendorf campus, and really have the humble privilege today uh, to lead us as we engage the Word of God together. Now this weekend, for those of us with children in school, this is the unofficial start to summer summer, isn't it? For the, I mean, schools all across our region, for the most part, have concluded for the summer, and in some parents, you are super stoked about that. Other parents, you had to get out of the fetal position this morning to get here, and I appreciate that. Um, but I want you to know, this summer is already off to an incredible start in the Barnes household. All right, you see, Thursday, uh, this happened, where my six-year-old Maddox uh, graduated, or what he likes to say, retired from kindergarten. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'm super proud of this kid. I mean, every day I'm amazed at how quickly he's growing, how smart he is, how hard he tries, um, but especially proud of how kind and respectful he is. Parents, you agree, our kids grow way too fast, don't they? And I just look at him and I'm like, man, I'm proud. And so that took place on Thursday, but I got to tell you what happened on Friday and Saturday just has Jesse and I stoked. You see, my, my daughter Ava, who is four years old actually last weekend, uh, my daughter Ava, um, listen to this. She started to poop on the potty. Is that not amazing? Oh my goodness. Like parents, can you just praise God with me for a moment? Like this is amazing. <laughs> That's right. Listen, if you're a guest with us this weekend, I want you to know we are a family and there are certain moments in family life that you just have to celebrate. And this is one of those moments. And, and for, in fact, for some of you who have been waiting years for breakthrough, I hope that Ava's example is an encouragement to you today. That there is, it is possible for breakthrough to happen, right? And so if that doesn't encourage you, let me get into scripture, somehow make this transition. But uh, my, my hope is today is that as we engage scripture together, that Holy Spirit will encourage you. That he'll challenge you and that, that you and I, each of us, will be drawn to him. You see, these moments when we gather, regardless of what location you're at, these are sacred moments together where we seek to grab hold of Jesus, where we seek to engage him, to hear from him, and then be empowered to walk out of these doors, to live the not-so-average, Holy Spirit-empowered resurrection lives that he invites us into. And really, that's the heartbeat of these conversations that, that we're calling not-so-average Joes. It's our hope to take a look at some of the average Joes in Scripture and seek to, to explore their stories, hoping to glean some insight from their lives or maybe a, more, a greater understanding about God that can help us live not-so-average lives. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible um, is just how raw and transparent it is. I mean, literally, from, from the front cover in Genesis chapter 1 to the very back cover of Revelation chapter 22, there are stories throughout Scripture that, yes, they're full of hope and healing and redemption, but there's also stories of great brokenness, aren't there? Stories of tragedy, stories of pain, and, and, and what I love about the Bible is those same, that same tragedy, brokenness, and pain that is present in this book that was written thousands of years ago is still present today, isn't it? That same heartbreak, that same tragedy, the same mess that we read about in Scripture are the same things that we interact with on a daily basis thousands of years later. 
But you see, in Scripture, there's this promise that we find in Romans chapter 8. In the middle of the midst of the mess of Scripture, we read this promise. And it says, and we know that in all things, all things, the good, the bad, the places where there's hope and healing, where there's places of brokenness and hurt and tragedy and just straight up mess, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, we come across promises like this in Scripture that were relevant then, that are relevant now, and, and we can read a promise like this, and we can just say, wait a minute. Really, God? Really? I mean, you can make good out of this? Or, or God, don't you see that? Can you really make something good or work good out of that? And the good news is, is that we don't have to look far in Scripture to find stories in which God does exactly that. You see, last week, we looked and explored the story of a not-so-average Joe by the name of Joseph. And we took a look at Joseph's story, how uh, a story of betrayal in which his family, his family literally sold him into slavery. And if that wasn't enough, it goes on where a group of people lie about him, and Joseph ends up in prison being accused of a crime that he didn't commit. And we explored that even in the brokenness, in the mess of that, God was present and was actually bringing about redemption. A redemption that would not only save Joseph, but would lead to the saving of his family and even the saving and redemption of the Israelites. I mean, it was a powerful story how God can use the, the spaces in our life where things happen to us that are just messy and hard and tragic and to work them for the good of those that love him. But let me ask you, what about the stories where we are the ones who have made some dumb decisions? Or the stories where we're the ones who have made mistakes? Or, or the story that we're the ones responsible for the mess around us? You guys know what I'm talking about. What about those moments? Can God work those things out for the good? I mean, what about the times when the brokenness and the tragedy and the pain and the heartache and the division around us can't be pointed at and blamed on anyone other than the person that we see in the mirror? Can God even work in those moments? We're going to see today as we look in the story of Jonah that God indeed can work good out even in the midst of those situations. And what I think we're going to see as we look at Jonah is we're actually going to see you and we're going to see me, just average everyday Joes in the midst of Jonah's story. So listen, if you have your Bible or a device, I encourage you, turn a click to the book of Jonah. It's in the last third of the Old Testament, and we're going to get there in a moment. But the story of Jonah is one that many of us know, right? I mean, whether you grew up in church or not, you've heard the story about a big old fish that swallowed a dude, haven't you? You know, this is actually the content of my favorite VeggieTales movie of all time, right? Like, we, we've been around this story. We've heard this story. And, um, but the problem is, is if we, if we minimize the story of Jonah down just to a fish that swallows a man— we miss out on some pretty significant truths and, and an example for us today of how God can even work in the midst of our failure. You see, we don't know a lot about Jonah. Apart from the book that Jonah, that, that he wrote, that is, that is named Jonah, there's only one reference to Jonah in the entirety of the Old Testament. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 14. And what this short little passage of scripture tells us is that Jonah is from an area just north of Nazareth, four miles or so, and he is a prophet. 
In other words, Jonah, for many, many, many years, we don't know how long, Jonah was one who sought God's face, who listened to his voice, and then faithfully proclaimed whatever God had asked him, even to the people in power, the king of Israel. This was a man that loved God. Hear me. He loved God. He listened to God. He went wherever God sent him. Jonah was a man who was obedient over and over and over. This was a man that God used in significant ways. And in many ways, Jonah was an example of a truth that we've explored together before as a church family, that, that obedience is demonstrated in moments. In moments, I mean, there were countless moments. We don't know how many, but moments where God came to Jonah and God spoke to Jonah and he said, listen, I want you to go and communicate this message. And Jonah did it. Jonah demonstrated obedience in moments. But obedience is demonstrated in moments, but it's defined over a lifetime. It's defined over a lifetime. You see, Jonah had many moments where he was faithful and many moments where he was obedient. But hear me, there was a moment quickly coming that Jonah thought he'd never, ever, ever have to make a decision about. You see, God had sent him to people all along that, that along the way Jonah was like, sure, I'll go and I'll do that. But God was quickly going to send Jonah to a people into a place that had never even came in Jonah's mind. He couldn't even comprehend that God would ask him to do what we're going to read about in just a second. But the reality is when God asked him, Jonah had a decision to make. Obedience is demonstrated in moments. And let's take a look at the moment that Jonah is quickly faced with in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Let me hold here for a second. Let's not miss the significance of this. The God of the universe, the God of the, the created the ends of the earth, chooses to, to honor Jonah and come to Jonah and speak to Jonah. It's crazy. He does the same with us, by the way. Let's not lose the significance of this. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now let's hold the phone here for a second. Nineveh? I mean, Jonah would have heard this and said, Nineveh? I mean, Nineveh was this, this great city, the capital of Assyria. And, and Jonah, alongside all the Israelite children, would have grown up absolutely despising the Assyrians. I mean, these were wicked people. They, these, were, these were the scum of the earth in Jonah's eyes. I mean, the stories that came out of Nineveh and out of the Assyrians were just of unspeakable evil. Children who were being sacrificed, people who were being killed, people who were being raped. I mean, it was just utterly disgusting. And, and Jonah couldn't even comprehend that God would want him to go to those people. I mean, let alone go and, and not just go to those people, but go and preach against it. Jonah's like, if I walk into that city and I tell them, oh, by the way, you're doing things wrong, I'm going to be dead. Right? Think of, think of the most wicked place that you can imagine. A place that is so dark and so despicable. A place where you're not safe, where, where people are being killed left and right. I mean, you can get a visual of what that is. Now imagine, imagine God asking you to go into that space and tell all those people that you are messed up. How many of you would be excited about that? I mean, this isn't like God is asking Jonah to cross the 74 bridge to get groceries, okay? That's not what's happening here. 
God is literally saying, Jonah, I want you to go to the people that you hate, the people that you despise. I want you to risk your very life. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Now here's the moment. Here's the moment where Jonah has to decide, will I be obedient or will I flee? Let's take a look at what he does. Verse 3. He says, but Jonah what? He ran away. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. Not only did he not go to Nineveh, he literally geographically went the exact opposite direction. He's like, I am not making a mistake and going to get there. I'm going the other way, right? He says he went to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is the moment. And in this moment, Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites, Jonah's fear of what may happen to him was actually greater than the love and the trust that Jonah had for God. And so he disobeys, he flees, and he runs. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or acknowledge what I'm saying here, but what I know to be true is every single one of us resonates with Jonah. There's been moments in our life where God asks us to do things, and we're like, yep, I can do that. I'll go there. It's a promotion. Yeah, sign me up. Check the box, right? Like, and we're, we're, God asks us to go, and we go, and, and we're faithful. Yay us. But then there's other moments where God asks us to do things, things like forgive somebody that has hurt me and wounded me, and we're like, not a chance, God. Or he asks us to go somewhere that might cost us something. And we're like, uh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Or he invites us to, to go into a space that might not be safe for us. And we're like, God, I'm not doing that. There is no way. We all resonate with this, don't we? The reason why I know that is Romans 3.23 says we all have sinned. We have all have turned and ran toward Tarshish. We all have fled from the Lord. And so we all resonate with Jonah. But when we look at Jonah's story, I mean, he's fleeing, he's running away from God. And, and some of us would say, you know what, a, a holy, perfect, and righteous God, surely he could have just wiped his hands of Jonah and chosen somebody else and been on with the story. And hear me, he could have, but he didn't. He didn't. Instead, what, what God displayed towards Jonah was this, this unending, unwavering love for Jonah. You see, even in Jonah's disobedience, even when he was fleeing and running from God, God was pursuing him. In fact, look at what happened starting in verse 4. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Jonah's running and God says, I'm coming after you. I'm pursuing you. He sends a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea and lightened the ship. Now look where Jonah's at. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How in the world can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice so that we will not perish. You see, even in the midst of this brokenness, even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, God was pursuing him. God didn't just pursue Jonah when he was faithful. God pursued him in the midst of the failure, in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his disobedience. And just like Jonah, hear me, the same is true for us. Just like Jonah, God pursues us. 
God pursues us. You see, this is where things begin to break down in our world's perception of God. You see, a lot of times we go, well, God pursues us and he chases after us when we're faithful. But when we're disobedient, that's when God is done with us. But here's the problem. Our view looks at God, or our world looks at God, and they have this picture of God almost like an angry old man who's, who's got a baseball bat. And he's just waiting for us to step out of line, waiting for us to disobey, waiting for us to flee from him so that he can use his bat and just play whack-a-mole with us, right? Just as if God's saying, you know what, if you disobey me, I am going to whack you on the head and you're going to suffer. But hear me today, that is not the God that we worship. That is not who he is. We have a God that loves us. And yes, he pursues us in our faithfulness, but he also pursues us in our failure. In fact, look at what God says about himself in Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what he says. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. Sheep is an illustration that's used throughout scripture to describe people because quite frankly, just like sheep, we're not very smart. Right? We get distracted. We wander off. Okay, it might not be true about you, but it is about me. All right. And so God says, I will search for my sheep and I will look after them as the shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. Look at verse 16. I will search for the lost. I will search for those who have run away from me. I will search for those who have failed. I will search for those who are on vessels running the complete opposite direction of what I've asked for them. I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays. Do you hear God's heart in this? He's saying, I'm a God that pursues you in your faithfulness and even in your failure. Just last week, I was sitting on my porch with a gentleman from my neighborhood and um, this is a guy whose life is literally falling apart. Literally falling apart. His marriage is on life support at best. His, his bride and their kids just got up and they moved. And, and at the, his kids are just devastated, as you can imagine. And I'm sitting here and I'm talking with him. And at the center of all this dysfunction are actually choices that he's making. Drugs. Addiction. Abuse. I mean, it's It's tragic. But I can look at this gentleman who doesn't know Jesus, by the way. I can look at him and I can say, listen, God is pursuing you. God is pursuing you. And you may go, well, how, how, how do you know that? How can you say that? Well, first of all, Ezekiel 34 is very clear about God's heart. Or I can point to Jonah chapter 1, the way that God chases after Jonah and pursues Jonah. Or I can look at Luke chapter 15, where, where Jesus himself in red letters talks about, if one sheep goes away, I will leave the 99 and I will pursue the one. And if I, and if I lose one coin, I will tear up the house looking for that one coin or that one lost son. I will pursue him because I love him. You, you hear this heart of a God who says, even in your brokenness, even in your, your failure, even in your disobedience, I will pursue you. And that's exactly what God does. And that's exactly what is happening in the life of Jonah. See, if you go back to Jonah chapter 1 to pick up where we left off, the, the storm uh, begins to hit the boat. The sailors are freaking out. They go and they wake up Jonah. They're like, are you crazy? How can you be sleeping? Get up and call on your God. 
You see, these sailors knew that this storm was unlike any other storm. It was clear that God was orchestrating this storm. And back in that time, they would have been convinced that this storm must have been taking, must have been taking place because of somebody on board was responsible. In other words, they would have thought in their mind that there was a criminal on board, maybe someone who had committed murder, someone who had, who had stolen something, and so God was getting even by bringing this storm. Now hear me, this would have been the moment for Jonah to say, it was me. But he didn't have the guts to do it. And so what happens is they do something they call casting lots. It's like rolling dice to help identify who is responsible. And Jonah watched them cast lots, and surprise, guess who it fell on? Jonah. Jonah. And so then Jonah, in this moment, I give him credit. You see a humility in Jonah in which he takes responsibility. He actually goes on to talk about the God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the God of the universe. And he talks about how he worships this God. But God had asked him to do this, and he was running away from the Lord. And he takes responsibility. He's saying, this storm is happening because of me. And I give him credit. And I just think of Jonah recounting that story probably with great sorrow and great shame. And then the sailors look at Jonah and they go, what in the world should we do? And then I want you to listen to Jonah's words in verse 12, where he says, pick me up. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Do you see the humility here? Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. What Jonah is saying here is, listen, I'm responsible. It's my disobedience that's caused this chaos. And I don't want you to suffer for my decision. So he literally says, throw me in the water. Knowing full well that in telling them to throw him in the water, that his life was going to end. He was going to drown. Jonah had no other concept of anything else. And so the sailors, guess what they do? They throw him in the water. <laughs> they throw him in the water. And then something crazy happens. The storm becomes calm. And this group of people that had been calling out to their gods, little g, began to worship the true God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. I mean, they, they make sacrifices to God. And, and if this was the end of the story, this would have been cool enough. God would have worked in the midst of Jonah's disobedience to bring salvation and transformation to those sailors. But God wasn't done yet, was he? You see, look at what happens. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It's a crazy cool story, isn't it? But here's what's miraculous about what happens in the midst of that fish. Not that Jonah lives. Like, let's agree. That's pretty miraculous, right? <laughs> what's miraculous is in the midst of this dark, stinky, nasty, broken place that God draws Jonah back to himself. God draws Jonah back to himself. And as we're going to read about in a minute, that's true about Jonah. It's true about you and it's true about me. That just like Jonah, God uses our brokenness, our brokenness to draw us back to himself. God uses our brokenness, the mess around us, the things that we're navigating that are hard. He uses those things to draw us back to ourselves. You see, at the end of Jonah chapter 1, we see this big fish swallowing Jonah. But look at what happens in Jonah chapter 2. Very first verse, it says, From inside the fish, 
Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. From inside the fish, in the stinkiest, most broken place that you or I can imagine, in the midst of his brokenness, a constant reminder of Jonah's failure, God draws him back to himself and he prays to the Lord his God. And I just want you to listen to this prayer. Listen for moments when in the midst of his brokenness, how God uses this to draw Jonah back to himself. This is what it says. His prayer says, I cried out to the Lord my God in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and you, Lord, heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Verse 4, then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Listen to this. Yet I will look toward your holy temple. Verse 5, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my neck. Do you hear the tragedy in this? The pain, the heartache? Verse 6, he says, and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, snatched me from the jaws of death. Verse 7, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Now listen to verses 9 and 10 where Jonah says this. He says, but I with shouts of grateful praise. He's in the midst of the brokenness. He's in the midst of the belly of the fish. He's in the midst of the darkness. He says, but I with great shouts of praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Do you hear how God uses this brokenness to draw Jonah back to himself? And then he goes on to say, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's a great visual, right? <laughs> but God uses our brokenness to draw us back to himself. One of the things I love when I interact with our brothers in Kiwani or our, the men at Rock Island County Jail is I can't tell you how many times I've heard this statement verbatim. I am so thankful that I got caught and sent to prison because they said it's here that God drew me to himself. If I wouldn't have got caught for whatever their crime was and I wouldn't have been imprisoned, I would have never known Jesus. Jesus would have never transformed my life. They're articulating how God used their brokenness to draw them back to himself. And God does the same thing for us. I mean, if you look at the book of Proverbs, there's a passage that, that literally talks about how the Lord disciplines those he loves. He says, don't despise that discipline. Don't despise these broken seasons of life because these are the very things that the God who loves you, who is pursuing you, is trying to use to draw you back to himself. I can't tell you how many marriages I've sat with that, that have walked through incredible hardships, some with infidelity and just brokenness. And how they'll articulate. They're not grateful for what they walk through, but they're grateful for how the hurt and the pain associated with that actually drew them to the Lord. How God used the brokenness to draw them back to himself. For some of us in the room that have issues or things of sin that we wrestle with, I mean, when we, when we engage in those things, that conviction that we feel, you guys know what I'm talking about? 
The conviction that we feel, that is God's discipline where he's saying, I love you enough that I want to use the conviction. I want to use the brokenness. I want to use the heartache that you're walking through. Not to punish you. This isn't a whack-a-mole moment. This is God saying, I love you enough to come back to me. And God says, I want to use your brokenness to draw you back to me. And that's exactly what happens in the life of Jonah. You see, as we close Jonah chapter 2 and step into Jonah chapter 3, God begins to invite Jonah again to do what he had asked him to do. Check it out. Chapter 3, it's not in your note guide because it's already, we already read it in chapter 1 verse 1, but it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Sound familiar? And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I have given you. But listen, Jonah's not the same guy. Because it says, Jonah what? Obeyed. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. You see, Jonah's disobedience ran away from God, but God so loved him that he pursued him. And even in the midst of the brokenness, God used it to draw Jonah back to himself. And he changed him so much so that God then invites him again to go to Nineveh. And this time, rather than go in the exact opposite direction, Jonah goes to Nineveh. And what we're going to see is that in his faithfulness, because of Jonah's faithfulness, God does amazing things. And it's the same for us, that our faithfulness unleashes God's power. Our faithfulness unleashes God's power. Look at what happens in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He explores. He goes in. He begins to proclaim the message that God had asked him to proclaim. And this is what happens. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. What? These were the evil, wicked people, the ones who Jonah thought they would just decapitate him upon arrival. That's not what happens. The Ninevites believed God, and listen to this, and a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth. A sign of mourning, of grieving, of, of repentance. And then it says in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This is crazy cool, isn't it? You read later on in chapter 4, it says there's over 120,000 people in Nineveh. Wicked people who, because of Jonah's faithfulness and because God's power was unleashed, literally are transformed. They, they, they repent and they mourn and God holds back his wrath all because Jonah, who had been unfaithful, who had run from God, who God used or pursued and drew back to himself through brokenness and hardship and then uses to send him again. Because Jonah was faithful, it unleashed God's power. It's amazing. And can I tell you today, God wants to do the same in you and in me. I realize today some of us have made mistakes. We have flat out disobeyed the Lord and we have run headlong. And we've been running for God thinking that he's a whack-a-mole God. And today's the day where he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm pursuing you. I love you. I care about you. I long for you to walk with me so that I can unleash my power through you. You know, there's something that I see in the life of Jonah and, and quite frankly that, that I've walked and wrestled with myself and I've seen as I've had a chance to journey along many of you, side many of you. And I think it's the reality that in many ways Jonah had a box that he liked to put God in. He liked to define what was okay and what wasn't okay. Think about it this way. 
There were moments when, when God came to Jonah and he said, listen, Jonah, I want you to go proclaim a message of mercy to the Israelites. And Jonah's like, that fits in my box. I will do that. I'll go. I'm good with that. There were moments when, when God asked Jonah to do things that were comfortable, that, that didn't quite cause, wasn't much risk involved for him. And Jonah's like, great, I can do that. That fits in my box. But as soon as God asked him to do something that didn't fit in Jonah's box, what did he do? He ran. He's like, you want me to go proclaim that same message that you wanted me to to the Israelites, to the Ninevites? Are you crazy, Lord? There is no way I'm going to do that. And he runs from the Lord. Now, God is gracious. God pursues him. God uses his brokenness to draw him to himself, gives him another chance. He goes, yay, God. It was awesome, right? But we see this idea in Jonah. But can I tell you, I think we all have our own boxes, don't we? That whole forgiveness thing, like, God, you'll forgive us for our sins? Like, I like that. Check, not sign me up. I love that stuff. You know, Lord, you, you ask me to do things that, that don't stretch me too much or, they're, you know, it's, I'm comfortable. It's good. I'll do those things. Or, or you want me to, to take that promotion? Well, certainly, Lord, that's you. I will definitely do that, right? But then there's moments when God asks us to do things that are outside of our box. There's people that he asks us to forgive that we're like, there is no way I'm doing that. They deserve wrath. You guys been there? There's times when God asks you to, to maybe stop doing something that we enjoy doing. And we're like, Lord, hold on a second. You stay in your box over there. I'll stand over here. And we'll say, I'm not going to. That's outside your box, God. Or will God ask us to go somewhere? Maybe leave the people we love and go somewhere to another place similar to Abraham. And, and we're like, God, nope. I like what I'm doing. And we say, God, I'll obey you if it fits in here. But if you ask for me anything outside of that, thanks but no thanks. And here's the deal. Even in those moments of disobedience, Jonah had them, we have them. God is faithful to pursue us. He pursues us. He loves us. And even when the, the, or the situations that surround our disobedience, whether he orchestrates them or allows them, doesn't really matter. The reality is God uses those broken moments when we decide to uh, reject him to draw us back to himself. And then he invites us again to go so that we can see his power unleashed like never before. You see, for some of us today, just like Jonah, we need to get rid of this box. Because let me tell you something. As long as we're the ones defining the boundaries of this box and what can fit in there or not, as long as we're the ones defining what God can do, guess what? We're, t we're telling God that he's not really God, we are. And today's the day where God's saying, let me be God. Trust me. Know that I love you. Know that I have your best at heart and that I intend to work all things for good, not just for you, but in Jonah's case, for the sailors that God had been pursuing all along or the Ninevites that God had been pursuing all along. God is working those things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So you may be asking, so what? What does this mean, Justin? What does this mean for me today? How do I apply this? And, and can I tell you, one of my favorite things about the story of Jonah and about the book of Jonah, this is going to sound weird. My favorite thing is that Jonah is the author of the book of Jonah. Here's why. If I asked you or myself to write a book about ourselves, we would focus on the things that make us look good, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And Jonah could have done that. 
Jonah could have focused on the moments that he was faithful and the moments where, where God spoke to him and he charged the hill in obedience. Jonah could have done that, but he didn't. In fact, it's as if Jonah knew through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all scripture is God-breathed. It's as if Jonah knew that thousands of years later that there would be people like you and like me who in moments obey God when he asks us to do things. In other moments, run from God. And it's as if Jonah wanted us to know that God pursues us when we're faithful and even in our failure. God pursues us. It's as if the Holy Spirit, through Jonah, Jonah wanted us to know that, that even in the brokenness around us, even when the situations are our fault and the mess is our fault, that even then, it's as if Jonah wanted to make sure that we knew that even in those broken spaces, God is drawing us to himself. And it's as if Jonah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that for some of us who have rejected God, who have run away, maybe and somewhere along the way felt like, man, we blew it. There's no way we can, we can still live into what God asked. And it's as if Jonah wanted us to know through the Holy Spirit that that invitation is still there. God is still inviting us to be faithful. And it's as if Jonah wanted us to know that when we're faithful, it unleashes God's power. Now, here's the deal. All scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit inspires it. And just like the Holy Spirit inspired Jonah to pin the words of the book of Jonah in ways that weren't so flattering to him, but were for us. Let me ask you today, how is the Holy Spirit inviting you today to respond to Jonah's story? How is he inviting you to respond today? You know, as you think about that, let me share one of my favorite passages of scripture that really I think we see lived out in the book of Jonah. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It's through faith. And then listen to this. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. This is about saying, listen, obedience is, is demonstrated in moments. And there's moments we obey and there's moments we disobey. But listen, God's grace is not dependent on your ability or my ability. In the moments we say yes and say yes and say yes. God's grace is, not, is a gift from God. Just like it was to Jonah, God's pursuing him was a gift to Jonah. It was a, a resemblance of God's mercy. God using the brokenness to draw Jonah into himself was God's mercy and grace at work. God unleashing his power because of Jonah's faithfulness was an example of God's grace and of God's mercy. So let me ask you today, what is Holy Spirit stirring in you? How is he asking you to respond today to the story of Jonah? You see, there's three blank lines on your outline. And, and, and I invite you in a moment as our worship team comes to simply right now to actually take a pen and write, how is Holy Spirit asking you to respond today? Maybe you're in a place today where you're running away from God and you're hearing this message that God isn't angry at you. God is pursuing you. And maybe today's the day when you stop running and you return to him. Maybe for the first time, if you're not a follower of Jesus, look at the, on the third page, there's three sample steps in a prayer. I encourage you, this is your moment. Or maybe you're in the midst of broken situations and, and everything around you is falling apart and you've been bitter and you've been angry. And maybe this is the moment where Holy Spirit's saying, let me use that brokenness to draw you back to myself. Or maybe God today, Holy Spirit is saying, listen, that same thing I invited you to back here, I'm inviting you again and giving you a chance to demonstrate your obedience in this moment. Listen, whatever it is he's asking you to do, write it down make this a moment of decision. You see, God pursues us in the midst of our faithfulness and the midst of our failure. 
And my prayer today is that as he is pursuing you, that you will encounter him and do whatever he says. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the example in this passage of scripture of your mercy that is so clearly on display of your grace. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, whatever it is, Holy Spirit, you are stirring in us. I pray that we would respond to you today. Lord, I am so grateful that you work things out for the good of those that love you. Even the things that we are responsible for, even the decisions we've made, the mess we've created. God, I am grateful that you even work in the midst of those to bring about good for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. God, as as they contemplate and just listen to your voice, God, may this be a moment, a bold declaration, a moment where we say, God, you are God and King and we'll obey you. And Lord, I pray that your power would be unleashed, that lives would be transformed, that our cities would be different, that our lives would be different because of your power at work within us. So God, we give you praise and thanks. You're the one who gets all the glory and we give it to you now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.